We're so blessed to live in this country. And we sometimes forget what it's like. Jesus said especially, don't forget these young ones, the defenceless and the weak. It says that we can go. We can go. We can go ourselves. We can go with our partners. We can form a long-term relationship with these guys and we can help. Let it never be said of the people at New Hope, we had no opportunity to help. If it's in your heart, the opportunities are right before you. Let that sit with you. Let's not rush off that. And in the weeks ahead, I want you to reflect on this. I want you to reflect how blessed you are. You are blessed to be a blessing. Blessed to be a blessing. Father, I pray your spirit would talk to us in a way that only you can do. Not through clever persuasion, but by the gentle voice of your spirit. And all the people humbly said, Amen. Well, good morning, you hope. It's always a pleasure to be with you. Today we're finishing up the series called Transformed. And I want to just start off by saying you, this. Your ability to imagine a different future is a God-given gift. Maybe you can imagine a different future for those children. Maybe something as you saw that said, that ain't right. It is no way that children should ever be subjected to the things that they are Subjected to. No way. I'm one of those guys that jump in, boots and all. And the chips fall where the chips fall. That's wrong. But the ability to envision and imagine a new future, a new God-given future, is part of the gift that makes you a human. It makes you different from animals. And it's a very powerful force, imagination, and a dream for good or for evil. Nothing happens in life without a dream and some imagination. And you and I are most like our creator when we are creative. Every great achievement began with a dream. Napoleon said it this way, imagination rules the world. I don't quite agree with that, but I know where he's going with it. Einstein said, imagination is more important than knowledge. That's Einstein. Think about that. Imagination is more important than knowledge. It's that ability to dream that makes us creators in the image of God. And so this morning, Every single one of you need a dream. Because the Bible puts it this way, without a vision, without a dream, the people wander aimlessly. Just wander through life aimlessly. With no white hot burning vision in their soul that emanates from deep within, this is why I'm here, to make a difference. Without a dream, we just drift through life. And we get up and we go to work, we do the job and punch the ticket, collect the wage and eventually we retire and then we die. That's what happens. But for every person who goes after their dream, there are nine 
that are afraid to begin. They're afraid. They let the problems that are in every one of our lives overwhelm them. It's too hard. And those problems tend to stand in their way of pursuing the dream that they have. The better dream that is God inspired. And too many people, these big problems seem like giants blocking them. They may be, well, if I just had the finance to do it, then I'd do it. Or if I just had the right connections. Or if I just had enough energy. Different things in their lives. What do you do when you come up against a seemingly immovable object? An immovable obstacle in your life. And at work, by the way, same thing. Now, fortunately, today, we're going to quickly look at a story from the Bible that explains how to face the inevitable roadblocks and giants that tend to intimidate us. And it comes from the story of David and Goliath. And you'll find that if you have your Bible with you in 1 Samuel chapter 17. We're not going to read the whole thing, but I'm going to summarise it. But I'm going to pick it up from verse 1. It says this and on the screen and in your Bible. Now the Philistines had gathered their forces for war. And they occupied one hill and the Israelites another. And in between them was a valley. A champion named Goliath from Gath came out of the Philistine camp on this side. And he was a giant of a man, over nine feet tall, wearing a huge bronze helmet and a coat of bronze armour that weighed over 125 pounds, or let me put it in our terms, 56 kilograms. That's a chunk of steel. He also wore bronze leggings, kind of like chaps, and slung a huge bronze javelin over his back. The spearhead, the iron spearhead alone, weighed seven kilograms. And the soldier, with, uh, and a soldier with a large shield, always walked in front of Goliath. We haven't got time to get into that, but it's an interesting thought. Now you may have heard this many times. Actually, I've had the privilege of meeting the third tallest man in the world. He was giantless. My son, who was six foot three, felt like a pipsqueak in front of him. His hand, he put on a piece of A4 paper that covered all, all sides of it. It was his toe looked like my elbow. It was enormous. And he went to my brother's camp and they had to put two beds together to even three, actually, to make it fit. Two at the top and one for his legs, double bed. Two of them, end to end. Huge. Now you may have heard this story put many times about the two armies who were posing on on the Valley of Elah. In fact, if you go to the Valley of Elah, just fire it up there, Chris. I've been there not long ago. It's it's just an amazing place where you can go to this day. Then Goliath was advocating, you know, rather than us, sit down and have a big punch up. And lots of blood and guts everywhere. Why don't you just give us your best guy and we'll take our best guy and we'll duke it out. And if we win, you become our slaves. And if you win, we'll become your slaves. That was basically the way it was set up. Now again, what we see here, they were trying to advocate uh, to, to get away from heavy losses. That's the Valley of Elah. You can go there today. And this is where one of the uh, the Philistines were up on the top of that hill right there. And it comes down, and there's a plain there, and the brook is still there. In fact, I picked up some stones from that same brook where David picked up his stones. And on the other side, it looks exactly the same on the other side, okay? Now, Goliath 
was huge and he was a trained warrior from his youth. Versus on the other side, David, a shepherd boy. And sometimes we often hear this, oh, all, you know, all David had was a sling. You can't, oh, you know, poor fella, he's the underdog. You know, like he was the, the, the poor cousin in the whole scenario. And often this story is used as a metaphor about, the, about improbable victories and overwhelming odds. That's how it's normally placed, right? Pretty long odds. Now, the first thing I want you to notice in the story, which we'll get to soon, is that Goliath tries to engage David on his terms. He says, Oi, you, come here. You come to me, that I might feed your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the fields. You come here. He's trying to dictate the rules. But David is no fool. I just want you to notice for a few pre- um, preliminary comments. He's no fool. The first thing David does is he changes the rules of engagement. He says, uh-uh. There's no way this little short guy is going to take on this nine-foot behemoth. He ain't doing that. He's going to be mincemeat. Hand-to-hand combat? Come on. This guy has got no heavy armour, but he has superior speed and superior technology. Today, because I loved physics, I spent a bit of time researching this and refreshing my mind from what I studied many years ago. He was using a sling. Now, slingers were used often in these armies. These slings are not a slingshot. They're not... The slings are lethal. Slingshots aren't. Ask many parents who've been shot with them. They're still alive, all right? A sling is. A sling was a lethal weapon that could take typically a rock the size of a tennis ball, whip it around to move at 35 metres a second and hit with the impact 600 joules, which is about the approximate impact of a 9mm at 50 yards. Modern day weapon. It would take your head off. Not only does he have superior technology, and he's quick on the ground. He has the Spirit of the Lord. The Spirit of the Lord in him. So, a couple of quick lessons from David facing Goliath. Now, it's unlikely that you'll ever have to face a physical giant, but it is very likely that you're going to have to face some other giants that David did before he even got to Goliath. He had to face actually four other large roadblocks before he even got to meet the physical Goliath. But your giants can be just as intimidating. The background to the scene earlier, one chapter earlier. God had told Samuel, who was a prophet of Israel, to go to Bethlehem and there anoint a son of Jesse as the next king. Now that's dangerous. That's treasonous. Anointing a a king, a future king, when the same one's existing, that's a very difficult position to be in. Anyway, so he rocks on down to see Jesse and the boys on the farm. And one by one, Jesse brings out of all his boys. Number one, here's my oldest. Look how amazing he is. Someone goes, uh uh-uh, next. Next, no, not that one. Not the next. And the next, the next, the next, the next, next. Seven sons later. And he goes, not the guy. Is this all you got? Something's not right here. And so he says, well, I didn't call the run to the family in. He's out looking after the sheep way down the backyard. So Samuel says, go get him. I'm not going to do anything until I see this guy. He walks in, Samuel takes one look at him and says, that's the guy. 
And right there and then, he anoints the runt of the family, the most unlikely candidate as the future king of Israel. Now, you know what happens after this? Fat. Nothing. Zero. In fact, Jesse says to his son, now, get back out and tend the sheep. That's exactly what happens. You get back out and tend the sheep. Nothing at all changes in David's life. Same sheep, same flies buzzing around his nose. He's been given a dream. He's been told he's the next king of Israel. But the response is, get back out and tend the sheep. Now, the point is this. Christians, listen to me. There is nearly always a long delay between the impartation of the vision and the fulfilment of the vision. But we get impatient. A long delay. Years later, there's a waiting period. I want you to expect that. And this is exactly what's going to happen in your life. And we see there are other giants that David had to face in order to become what God called him to be. And the first one, the first dream buster that's going to come into your life as it did into David's, and we can learn from that, is the dream buster of delay. You may want to write that in. No dream is fulfilled instantly. God gives you a dream one day, but it's often not fulfilled for years later. Expect that. And in David's case, his dad initially held him back. What? His own father? Yes. He didn't think David was old enough or wise enough or experienced enough to leave his job as a shepherd and become the king. In verse 12. Now David was the youngest of Jesse's eight sons. His three older brothers had enlisted in Saul's army. The Bible notes, but David was held back to care for the sheep in Bethlehem. I want you to circle held back. The first barrier to your dreams that God has given you are people in your life that will hold you back. Now some of you know what I'm talking about. Some of you have been held back because of your age. You're too old. You're too old. You're too old to have this job. You're too old to get this next job, whatever it may be. Maybe your size, you're too small, you're too big. Maybe your race, your gender. Opposition, friends, is a barrier you have to push through. And sometimes those who love you have their dream for your life. We've all heard God loves you and has a plan for your life, but there are many people around you that have a plan for your life. And they'll try and foist it upon you. David's dad wanted him to be a shepherd. But then David's dad decides to have David deliver a special care package to the bros who are out in the front line. And whilst he's there, David hears Goliath. And he also notices how frightened everybody else is. So the second dream buster that'll come into your life is a giant of discouragement. Because the Bible says everybody was afraid. See, Goliath had created this culture of fear and intimidation. Maybe you've come across some people or circumstances that have created this sort of intimidation in your life. 
Verse 8. Each day Goliath would stand and shout at the ranks of Israel's army. Why do you come out here and line up for battle? Choose one man to fight me. And if he is able to kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I kill him, you become our subjects and you'll serve us. Day after day, Goliath taunted them saying, this day I defy the ranks of Israel. And when Saul and the Israelites heard this, everyone was deeply shaken and paralysed with fear. Now this situation had clearly demoralised everyone. They were gripped with anxiety. You know when you feel it here and your stomach's upset and you, it, just, it just churns. They were terrified. They felt hopeless. Actually, CUV says they were so frightened they couldn't do a thing. Sounds like where you work. Maybe he's terrified by an intimidating boss. There's nothing we can do or some economic problem that you guys have got or a business issue. And everyone's around saying it can't be done. It's never going to happen. But it's an interesting observation I found in life is that conventional wisdom is often wrong. Flat wrong. You want to circle back there in that last passage I read, the word ranks. Because I found solutions often come from outside the rank and file. They come from outside the rank and file. Here we are, in walks a kid who doesn't know it can't be done. What's the problem? Has anybody ever done that in your office? You know, when everybody's given up? And why is everybody given up? Because they're listening to the wrong voice. All they're hearing is a negativity all the time. Negative, negative, negative. Look at verse 16. For 40 days. That's a long time. Twice a day, morning and evening, the Philistine giantly, loudly berated the Israelite army. No wonder they got discouraged. And I have a question to you this morning. Who are you listening to? Who says it can't be done? If you're listening to negative states, statements for long enough, hear me carefully, you will become negative. Be careful. Sometimes what you need is a fresh pair of eyes and a fresh pair of ears. Along comes David. Fresh pair of eyes, fresh pair of ears. Verse 23. As David talked with his brothers on the front line, he saw Goliath started shouting his usual threats to Israel's army. When the army heard Goliath, they all ran away in terror. Now, a bit of advice quickly. Don't hang out with fearful people. It's contagious. Fear is contagious. Don't hang out with them. You'll end up starting to think like them. You'll become fearful. Don't hang out with bitter people. Bitterness is contagious. You'll start to... A negativity. You'll start to see things in a negative light. And angry people, it's highly contagious anger. So the first barrier to your dream is delay. The second barrier or dream buster is discouragement. And the third one, and this is a big one, the third dream buster is a giant of disapproval. You know why? Because everyone of us in this room wants to be liked. We do. And in David's case, it was his brothers, his own brothers who questioned his motives and disapproved of David's challenge. And they just treated David with a disdain and almost disgust and disregard and they belittled him. Look at this, verse 28. And David asked, what is the reward for killing this Philistines and in this disgraceful abuse? I love his approach. 
Notice next sentence. When David's older brother heard this, he burned with anger at David and said, why are you here anyway? Why aren't you taking care of your scrawny little flock of sheep, you cocky little brat? I know how conceited you are. Man, he's a bit twisted, wouldn't you say? Now what have I done, said David? Can't I even ask a question? (laughs) Does any of this sound vaguely familiar? Can you hear the family dynamic going on here? Stinging sibling rivalry. And the fact is sometimes you might find even your own nuclear and extended family cannot see your dream or cannot see you succeeding. And sibling, um, sibling rivalry often leads to resent. Who's really considered here is the brother. No, David's brother. Who do you think you are? That is the wrong question. The question is, who do we think God is? Big difference. Let the size of your God determine the size of your dream. Don't let negative, small-minded, stinking thinking bust your dream. Now, listen carefully. When God gives you a dream that others are afraid to attempt, you'll often be A, misunderstood, B, misaligned, mischaracterized, and misjudged. And by the way, this might be interesting for some of you capitalists that are in our audience. Do you know what the, uh, the reward was for killing Goliath? You may want to look it up. 1 Samuel 17, 25, because that's the first question he asked. What's the reward? He did ask that, Kimberly. <laughs> he says it here, 1 Samuel 17, 25, NIV version. I love this. So if I knock this guy off, what do I get? Come on. I'm putting my neck on the block. What do I get? Here it is. The king will give great wealth to the man who kills him. Okay, that's one. Two, he will also give him his daughter in marriage. That's not bad. <laughs> this last one's worth it. And he'll exempt his father's family for taxes in Israel forever. Yeah! Where do I sign up? <laughs> that's a pretty, pretty good motivation, right? But there was a fourth dream buster that David had to face even before he got on the battlefield with Goliath. And that was a giant of doubt. The giant of doubt. Am I capable of up to this task? Can I even do what God is asking me to do to make this difference? And in this case, the experts doubted David's ability. In David's case, who is the expert here? Saul. Saul had been a a warrior since youth. And he'd been in battle his entire life. Just the fact that he'd survived so many battles told you he was pretty good. And King Saul hears about David and he sends to him in verse 32. Don't worry about a thing, king. (laughs) David told the king, I'll fight this Philistine. Look at Saul. Don't be ridiculous. (laughs) Saul replied, there's no way you can go fight against this Philistine. You're your boy. And he's a professional warrior all of his life. Now, right there, that's enough to make you start doubting yourself, right, man? Ah, maybe he's right. <laughs> People often misinterpret confidence in God as conceit and cockiness. Be careful how you express that, but that is still true. To be a person of great faith 
with a great dream and a great flight work, how then do you get after and defeat the giants? You just do four last things that David did. Number one, if you're facing a giant, you need to remember how God has helped you in the past. This is a confidence builder. So you recall, you recollect, and you remember. You remember when you thought it was the end? That's a terrible situation, yet God helped you out. You remember when you were lost and confused and the world didn't seem right, but God guided you through. You remember when there were unbelievable odds, and yet God did a miracle. And this is what David did in verse 36 and 7. He responds to Saul by saying, In protecting my sheep, I've killed both lion and bear. And the Lord who delivered me from the teeth of that lion and the claws of the bear will surely now deliver me from this Philistine too. So remember how God has helped you in the past. Two, use the tools that God has given you now. If you don't wait, what I'm saying is, don't wait till you have all the things lined up, the money, the opportunity, the personnel. You don't wait for your ship to come in, you swim out and you get it. You grab it, hold of it by the rope and you tow it into the, into the shore. See, sometimes Christians have this false mentality where I'll just wait until the Lord moves. Well, the Lord has told us very clearly what to do. We now need to have more of bias because I suggest to you humbly on action rather than reflection. He's made it very clear. Go into all of the world. Tell your people at work. Tell your people the good news. What's unclear about that? I'll just wait. Be more on the active side than the passive side. Take the initiative. Initiative means taking the lead. Anyway, back to where we are. Saul says, if you're going to fight this guy, you're going to need some armour. But remember, Saul's tall and David's short. So he whacks on the armour and you probably won't be able to see his arms popping out the sleeves. It was so big. Ridiculous. Verse 38. Then Saul dressed David in his own armour. But David said, I cannot go on this because I'm not used to them. So he took him off. And instead he chose five smooth stones for his sling. Now when you start going after your dream that God has given you, some people are going to oppose you on it and there's going to be opposition. But there'll be others who say, yeah, not a bad idea. Why don't you do it my way? Use the thing that's worked for me in the past and don't necessarily fall for that unless it's clear that's what you to do. It's like trying to wear Saul's armour. You can't wear it because guess what? It was made for Saul. You are not Saul. Other people will sometimes load things on you that don't fit and they will end up hindering you. So start with the tools that God gave you. God has given many of you a dream and you've been procrastinating on getting started. It's the Sunday Isle. You know that place, Sunday Isle? Sunday Isle, get moving. Sunday Isle, do this. Or when my job's finished, or when things settle down at work. I've got some news for you. Things will never settle down at work. Ever. So let's just give it a given and deal with that card with the cards we dealt. It ain't going to settle down. It may change a little, but it won't settle down. There's always unpredictability there. One of my favourite verses, Ecclesiastes 11.4, if you wait 
for the perfect conditions. Just when, well, I need to get my kids to university. Oh, or add a diapers, or whatever it may be. There's always the next thing, Sunday aisle. And next minute, somebody else that I knew, 53 the other day, dropped off the planet at 53. Do not put it off. Whatever you're going to do, get on with it. The Bible says, if you wait for the perfect conditions, you will never do anything. So don't even do that. This is the Scriptures. Don't wait for everything to be sussed. Even in management, we don't do that. We had to have 100% of the facts. We'd never do anything. We typically work when we get at 75, 80. If we, yeah, that, those probabilities will work with me. Bang, we're off. You cannot sit and procrastinate. Third, David did, third thing that David did that you also need to do is you need to ignore the dream busters. Now, it's interesting to me that I, the Scriptures re, do not record one single person that encouraged David. Not one. And he was going to take on the biggest challenge of his life. Now, the single word of encouragement is recorded in the Scriptures from his dad or his brothers, nor the army, all the soldiers that he was about to stick his neck on the block for. They were so scared to death. And by the way, there's a big, big stakes going on here. He lost. They were in serious tutu. So were all of their wives and children. Big stakes. And the king, whose reputation was on the line, he didn't encourage him. So nobody really gave him any encouragement. So what did he do? I love this. 1 Samuel 36. When others were speaking against him. Now I want you to read this next part with me. Let's read it. David encouraged himself in the Lord. That's it. Go home. You've had your money's worth. That one verse there is critical. When everybody else was speaking against him, David didn't go, oh, poor me. Why is nobody encouraging you? Why is nobody patting me on the back? Don't they know I'm about to possibly die? He didn't say that. What do the Scriptures clearly tell us? For our encouragement. For our encouragement. He encouraged himself. In the Lord. In the Lord. That is a source of courage. He is. That's so important. If you're going to go after your dream, you have to learn to encourage yourself. In the Lord, because sometimes nobody else is going to do that. Number four, David also expected God to help him for his glory. This is God's glory. This is what David did. This is a critical faith factor. Verse 45. David shouted to Goliath, you come with me with a sword and a spear and a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord Almighty. Today God will conquer you. Notice, not me, the Lord will conquer you. And the whole world will know that there is a God. That's for the glory of God. And everyone will know the Lord doesn't need weapons to rescue His people. It's his battle, not ours. Now, are you fighting a battle that's God's and you're wondering why you're so exhausted? The Lord will give you to us. So question, what are you expecting God to do in your life? 
Because I don't know where you are, but I can tell you this. I can tell you what God says about that. He says, according to your faith, will it be done unto you? That's what he says. He also says the just will live by faith. He also says it's impossible to please God without faith. See, here's the deal. You get to choose how much God does in your life. It's not, it's so much, it's, it's more based on how much you choose to trust Him. You don't have to be the smartest person in the world. You don't have to have the most intelligence in the world. You just have to make the choice to trust God and to do what He says to do. And whatever is without faith, the Bible says, let me be clear about that, the Bible says is sin. It's missing the mark. He's entreating us there to attempt great things for God and expect great things for God, as William Carey said, for His glory. On the flip side of that too, be aware that you have no idea how much sometimes your unbelief can be impacting somebody that you love. Is your unbelief limiting your husband or your wife or your child? What I'm saying is don't be a Jesse. Don't hold them back when God has a dream for their life. It's not your dream for them that matters. It's God's dream for them. You may not say, I'm holding anybody else back. According to your faith, it will be done unto you. Hmm. Let's pray. Friends, today and tomorrow and this week in in your life, in this year of your life, there'll give me a lot of things that you do not have control over. In your life, you didn't choose the natural talents that you've been given. You didn't choose where you will be born or when you'd be born. You didn't choose your gender or your race. But you do get to choose how much you're going to trust God. That's your choice. That's a faith factor. And that faith factor is you put your hand in God's and trust Him will be the tool to defeat the giants of delay, the discouragement, the disapproval and the doubt, the self-doubt that you have. And if you will say yes to God, He will take you an adventure of your life. Doesn't matter how old you are. Not a bit. And it doesn't matter what's happened in your life previous. Why don't you say this morning to God, may the rest of my life be 100% yours, God. Now, I want you to pray this prayer. Follow along with me in your mind. Just say, maybe, dear God, you've helped me many times in the past and I know that it was you. You've helped me through things that I never thought I'd ever get out of. But you did help. And if you've helped me in the past, I know you're going to help me again in the future. Help me to remember that. To draw confidence 
from that. Even when people discourage me, disapprove of me, or completely get the wrong end of the stick. Help me to use these tools that you've given me now and not to wait for the perfect time to step out in faith, but to use the sling and the stones that I have right now. Father, help me not to fall for the temptation to wear somebody else's armour, but to rely on your strength and the new thing you're doing. Lord, help me to also ignore the dream busters. And help me to start every day with a time alone in your word and with your spirit so that I will encourage myself in you. I don't need so much the encouragement of others because I'm encouraging myself in you and spending time with you. Help me to expect you to help me. Not for my glory, Lord, but for yours. That the whole world will know that there is a God. And that everyone will know that Jesus doesn't need weapons to rescue people. Maybe today you'd say, Lord, I've been so tired because I've been trying to fight battles as if they're mine. Lord, clearly before that even started, that battle was yours. So give me the wisdom to relax in you and to move when you tell me to get going. Jesus Christ, I invite you into every area of my life, every room in my mind. I want you to be the manager and the Lord of my life from this day forward. And I thank you in advance that the giants will fall. And Lord, your dreams that you have for me to fulfill will come true. I thank you for this in the powerful name that is above all name, that is your Son, Jesus Christ. And everybody said,